Welcome to Breaking Bible with the Tell the Adventures. Explore. It's a good day for some good news. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's Jesus' good news to us in John 16:33. As we face this new day and all it has for us, we find courage and hope in the only trustworthy words available. Tell the adventurers, explore. The Bible. <laughs> We are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the third day that we're trying to get through this chapter. We've had some fascinating, <coughs> some fascinating challenges, so looking forward to hopefully getting into what this chapter has to say. You get an opportunity to listen to it before we get into it. That's a very helpful way for you to know what's going on. And Jennifer, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Um, you know, it's funny, some days the Holy Spirit speaks to me and it feels like it's a proclamation or it feels like it's a conviction, like, oh, I need to change this in me. And then some days it's a question or questions, like just more questions come up, which it's funny when I was younger, I thought I, I shouldn't be questioning what, what I'm reading here. I shouldn't be questioning God. I shouldn't be questioning the church. It's just, that's blasphemy right there. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that that's not. <laughs> and I'm happy that it's not. Um, okay, so. Our there. questions are definitely valid. And yeah. If the church is not able to answer our questions, then yeah, we're going to. There is a thing called faith. Mm -hmm. But that's not an excuse to not have answers for why we believe what we believe. In fact, Paul tells us over and over have an answer ready for why you believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. And the people who are given authority in the church especially ought to be an example of having the answers ready. Mm -hmm. And also being able to say, you know what? I don't know. Let me find out. Oh, I, I love where your heart's at right now. It's, it's really good stuff. Sorry, I just had to break in and see that. Go ahead and tell me What's going on with your heart and what you're getting from this chapter? So, um, growing up Catholic, there are very definite rules about how the church and the hierarchy is set up. Mm -hmm. um, the priest is male. Uh, the priest's boss would be the pastor of the church, meaning the head priest. Then there's bishops above that. There's, uh, there's a whole hierarchy, but the, it's all men. Um, and then <clears throat> kind of, I don't know why I'm saying this, but the word that comes to me is accessory uh -huh. are the nuns and, and nuns are female and they do, they do different works based on what they belong, what group they belong to mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but a nun, can, a female cannot be a priest or any of that hierarchy. Okay. And so I'm just, uh, not knowing the Bible, I wouldn't have known to ask the question, but this is saying that women could actually serve the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm a little taken aback. And then I think of all the times that in recent years that I've heard, you know, people say that, you know, women say that they don't, they don't read the Bible. They don't believe in it because it's so, um, it's another example of toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. And... I'm not getting that from this letter at all because what I'm getting is a leader must be well thought of committed to his wife 
cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be over fond of wine. It does not say don't ever drink wine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, being Catholic, I wasn't taught that there. Like that, <laughs> no, we, we do the wine there. So, sure. um, Not pushy but gentle, not thin-skinned, not money-hungry. He must handle his affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. Mm. So... If you're going to go work in the church, you still got to handle your business at home. Mm -hmm. And you're expected to have a home. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another thing that being Catholic priests aren't allowed to marry um, because they are considered, in what I understand, they're considered to be married to the church. And it would be a conflict of interest for them to, to uh, have a family at home and such. Okay. And... Um, that is completely contrary to what I'm what I'm reading today. So I'm just I'm a little feeling a little topsy turvy over it all. Like what? <laughs> Wait, what? So you have a worldview based on the Catholic Church telling you how the church is supposed to function, mm -hmm. and now you're reading the Bible and you're finding a contradiction, mm -hmm. and so your world's getting flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. Man, that's a that's a wild feeling, mm -hmm. and that's a tough one to deal with. How are you? How are you dealing with that? What are you going to do with that? Um, my first thought was to say, I'm going to do nothing with it, but that's not exactly true. That, okay. That's not true. Um, I'm certainly going to pray about it. Sure. It's going to, I'm going to be praying on that one for a while. Sure. Um, going to work on accepting what I'm reading. Mm, okay. Because what do you want to do instead of accepting what you're reading? Worry over it. <laughs> Honestly. Okay. What like does just that mean? spin it in my mind. Just keep spinning it and spinning it and spinning it. And and the thing about doing that is that all you do is breathe all your energy into that and take away all your energy from everything else in your life. Okay. Uh, your spouse, your kids, your your relationship with God, like you're, you're taking, you're spinning yourself away from God when you do that, when I do that. Okay. So what are you going to, do you think you know what you're going to accept as the right way? And once you do that, how are you going to handle whatever you've decided that you don't like or prefer? But my question is, you've grown up with the Catholic Church telling you one way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Now you're reading the Bible and it seems contradictory. So if you decide that the Bible is correct and the Catholic Church has taught you the wrong thing, if you're going to respond the way God would respond, what would you need to do? And it's okay if you don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, All the right. first thing that comes to mind is accepting that that's how they do things and be kind to them. Okay. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. God respects our decisions, even when they go against what he has let us know is best for us. And so then our job is to love people who are doing things that are wrong because... God's the one who's going to judge. Jesus is the one who saves. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. 
So if we're doing any of those jobs, we're taking the role of God in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And no human being can carry that worship. Mm -hmm. No human being. So when we fail them and they're heartbroken, and I bring this up because it sounds like you might be moving towards being heartbroken by the church and what by the Catholic Church and what's what they've done. Um, and I've been hurt by the church myself. I know a lot of people who have been hurt by the church, and how we deal with it says more about who we are than, than what the church is. Mm-hmm. And if we want to honor God, not necessarily honor how the church is doing things, but if we actually want to honor who God is, then it's his word that we have to have to deal with. So it sounds like you're in a, a grieving process, and it, that's a time when all our inner vows come up to try to protect us from suffering. Mm-hmm. And we know that's just not going to work out. Our, yeah. our inner vows actually end up causing more suffering for ourselves mm-hmm. and for others. Um, so it sounds like we need to be very gentle with each other as we're dealing with some of these hurts. For me, what comes up as I read this first section, um, and the next verse that you didn't read out loud was, For if someone is unable to handle his own affairs... How can he take care of God's church? Why would we trust someone who doesn't know how to have a budget and take care of their money and take care of their family to then take care of a larger group of people? It's it's just not wise. And, of course, we live in the human world. And what do we do as humans? We miss the mark. God is the one there in the center being pulled by all these things and holding his integrity holding God's integrity. Whereas we as human beings, we get pulled in all of these different directions and we miss out on heaven because we're not in alignment with who God is because we're getting pulled by, but I've got to be masculine or I've got to be feminine or I've got to be strong or weak or whatever it is that we tell ourselves we are supposed to be. And so... (laughs) um, I remember being hired by a church and I was... I was very young. I was put in the position of an intern, but I was still given authority over a group of people. Um, I was not married. I didn't have children. I was in debt. I didn't have a budget. Um, I was going to college. And you know, part of our American culture is you do internships while you're in college. You do you do get a certain level of authority so that you can practice how to have that authority. And I mean, that's a lot different than being told at 13 years old that you have become an adult and now you're going to practice responsibility. Um, You know, we (laughs) mostly go to college to not have to practice responsibility and keep going to school. So um, there's a lot of conflicts there between our culture and biblical culture between all kinds of things. How the church is run now versus what the Bible tells us to do. And what's the whole point of going to college? To meet people, to create a network of people who are going to help you for the rest of your life, ideally. And so if you're an athlete, you want to make friends with a bunch of the accountants because that way, if you do end up making more money 
being an athlete or going into whatever job you go into, you know some of the accountants, you know some of the business people. You have connections with people who can help you in your next step in life. And that's a lot of what happens in most of life. So I met a buddy in college. Um, his dad happened to be a youth pastor, so I got connected with that church through him. And it wasn't because I met all of these requirements, it was because I knew somebody who knew somebody. And that's a normal part of life. That's a normal thing that we go through. And it's helpful to have a network of people. It's, it's a valuable thing. And like everything else that's in this, we've been talking about God is in the center of all of these dichotomies and the tension pulls us in all these different directions. One of the tensions is, are you gonna create a huge network of people that's going to help you connect to other people for the rest of your life, which is ideally what social media is supposed to be doing, and that's laughable now. <laughs> um, or are you going to try to be a loner and go it alone and have all these innovations and things that you're creating, but there's no one that you can connect your ideas to? And it's one of those tensions, and we live in that tension. Um, my point is, yes, the Catholic Church it seems, is not allowing their leadership to be married and have kids and deal with all the normal problems of life so that they can actually be helpful to other people who are growing up dealing with those same problems. How do I... There's a great tension. Should I get married or should I stay single? The Bible doesn't actually say that one is better than the other. Paul talks about it and points out, if you're strong enough and you have enough self-control to stay single, there's a huge value in that because you can focus on the church and your life with God and helping other people learn how to be in relationship to God. You can be a great example of what it looks like to be so in love with God that you're still valuable to the world and you have this focus. But because most of life and most people don't have that discipline, it is also good to get married and have children and do all of these things that are part of what some people would call a normal life. So I don't want to jump down the Catholic Church's throat because there are other places in the Bible where Paul himself says it's good to be single if you have that self-control. But of course what we find out is that like everything that is a human endeavor, you can set the system up to be perfect, but as soon as human beings start interacting with it, what do we do? <laughs> we don't follow the system the way it's supposed to and all of that. And so, yeah, we have a lot of heartache coming out of people who, like me, were hired because they knew somebody who knew somebody or they said that they were willing to live this certain kind of life, but then maybe they weren't capable of that responsibility or who knows what else? We're, we're all in that struggle, that tension between these things and trying to get our so-called needs met. And if we don't have a place to have the fullness of life, yeah, there's a lot of problems that come from that. So I really... <laughs> Yesterday, we, we've tried to have this conversation about three times now, and it hasn't worked out. And yesterday, one of the questions you asked was, 
what parts of the Bible do we pay more attention to? Or how do we deal with seemingly conflicting information within the Bible? And one of the ways to flatten out what we're learning in the Bible is to say that, yes, certain parts are for certain people, so you only have to read those parts. But the way to get closer to this, to who God really is, the center that holds its integrity in spite of all the tensions, is to read the entire Bible, recognizing that book wasn't written directly to me in my current circumstances. But at some point in my life, most likely, I'm going to be in a set of circumstances where I'm going to need that information. Because I'm going to be pulled towards a side of this tension where this information is going to be helpful. And right now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but when I go to a different book of the Bible, because I'm pulled towards, I keep coming back to Colossians. Because it's the book, it's the letter Paul wrote to the people who like to figure stuff out. The people who like watching House. Who want to be right. Who want to have a solution. And that's me. And so I'm pulled in that. I want understanding, and I want understanding to be God, because if I can just understand things well enough, then I can fix any, any problem, and there won't be as much suffering for me or other people. And the truth is, that's not how life works. And so I read Colossians, and it's incredibly helpful. Whereas I read Ephesians, and I'm like, eh, I'm not concerned so much with the hierarchy and who has authority and how power works until tomorrow when I've been on social media or whatever and have been hearing about those kinds of stories or I'm listening to some podcast that's talking about it and then I want to know, okay, well, according to the Bible, how does this hierarchy and authority stuff work? And so I'm in love with the idea of the church, but I also have to deal with human beings are not going to be doing this perfectly. So how do we live in that tension? Thanks for letting me ramble on about that. Um, <laughs> you tend to like when I tell some stories, so I tried to throw a personal story in there. And you know, um, I'm really grateful for that time that I had. It was fantastic. And I was not the leader that I needed to be. And I didn't become the leader that I necessarily needed to be just from going through that process. Um, and realistically, until I got married, I didn't know how much responsibility I was willing to carry. And even now there are days where it feels like just trying to take care of my responsibility for myself and to you is more than I can carry. At this point, I'm a disabled veteran, so I have other issues that go along with that, and stress really messes with me. But <laughs> here's my hot take to let you know that I should not be in leadership. Every time we leave our RV, I hope that it just kind of falls apart because I'm so, I struggle so much with being responsible for a place for us to live. And that's heartbreaking, and it's really what I deal with every single time. So, should I be in church leadership? Definitely not, because <laughs> I'm having so much struggle just handling 
being married, having a dog, trying to figure out where we're going to stay, trying to keep our RV running and maintained. That's more than enough for me. And then of course we're doing, we're adding on some other things and it's a lot. So I'm, I'm definitely not doing this podcast and doing this live stream and doing all of this so that I can say I deserve to be in church leadership. That's not my point at all. Um, in fact, my point is I'm not, and I want to understand the Bible well enough to, to know not only how do I live rightly, but how do I defend living rightly for where I'm at and the struggles I have? Um, this circle that we have where God is the center makes space for valuing all of these different sides of these dichotomies. Here's God in the center. There you are as a female on that side. Here I am as a male on this side. And we help each other, draw each other. God uses us to draw each other towards him. Because we're on opposite sides of this, we're in opposite areas of this tension. And the problems we get are when we go too far to one side, but there's a whole value within and a place for male and female. Not, not because they're equal, because they're different and they're both valuable. And yeah, I, I just get so caught in these ideas. And I'm really grateful that I have you with me, my love, because on my own, I definitely would not be able to deal with the stress and tension of life. God has definitely blessed me with you. You are his blessing to me, you are his gift to me, and you are a good gift. So thank you for loving me and being God's blessing to me. You're welcome. What else have you got going on, my love? I have a question for you. Sure. <clears throat> so you said that uh, you're not in a good place to be a church leader. Okay. Um, did you always believe that? Well, there's part of the reason that I'm not, it's not good for me to be a church leader. No, I didn't. Oh. I believed when I was an intern, I deserved that position. I should definitely be there. If these people were willing to hire me, then that must mean that I deserve to be here. Um, there was a lot of arrogance and pride behind what I was doing. And some of it was the confidence of, or the projected confidence that came from being as weak as I felt I was. Mm. Um, I was definitely trying to seem like I deserved that leadership or I deserved to be there. And a lot of that is my heart was on, I wanted to be a leader in the church because I believed that I had something that was a value that would, that understanding, which is what I actually worshiped, was going to change the church and make it better and more of what it was supposed to be. And that's another reason I should not have been in leadership. Because if anyone had asked me what's the most important thing to you, I don't think I could have answered. But if they had dug deep enough with me, they would have figured out understanding was more important than relationship, right relationship with God, or even trusting God, having faith, hope, love, all of those things were kind of in there, but for me, it was about understanding. 
if I could just understand why different denominations existed within the church, if I could understand why the church did things that didn't line up with what the Bible tells us, if I could understand why cancel culture holds the church responsible for the Old Testament but won't let them live into the new, um, and how to see these different ways to understand what the Bible's trying to tell us as you move through it. If we could just understand, because that's what I worship, because that's where I had thought I found my safety growing up the way that I did. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and you've seen those videos maybe, <laughs> and maybe not, but <laughs> it's fascinating. They've got people playing metal music behind all these people who are churchgoers putting their hands on each other and people are falling on the floor and they're doing strange dances and doing all this stuff. That was my normal every, almost every single day experience. We would go to church and after the story time and the sermon or whatever, you know, we'd have some music, we'd have a story, then we'd have some more music where we'd have prayer time at the end and then we'd get filled with the spirit and all of these things would go on. And as I grew up and grew older, I was just trying to figure out is this can't be normal for everybody. Because when I tell anybody else about it or when I see some of these movies that are coming out about this type of thing, um, they're making fun of it, you know? And so what is, how do I deal with different denominations and different ideas of how to love God? And... There is certain understandings that I've come to, and I definitely do still want to talk about them. And I think there's value in understanding. But when understanding becomes God, that's when we have the problem. And that's something that I struggled with. But I had this supreme confidence that I understood something that other people just didn't understand. And if I could get them to understand, then life would be better for everybody. There would be less suffering for everybody. And once again, as I said, there's value in understanding. And there's value in understanding that there are people who want to remain ignorant because it doesn't hurt as much. Sometimes ignorance really is bliss. But in the things that we're curious about and we desire to know, you know, curiosity killed the cat, satisfaction cured it. So it's a great question, it's very valuable. And it's very tough to deal with. And I can only admit this looking in hindsight because at the time I really believed that what I had to offer was important. It was more important than what was being offered. And it was at a time where the church was being, was doing certain things that were ridiculous. It was in the time of the purity movement where you're telling, you know, from what I understand, and I could totally be wrong, so by all means debate this all you want, the Bible was talking, is giving rules in a time when you become an adult when you're 13. So about the same time you're biologically changing into an adult, you're also given the responsibilities of being an adult, and so all of that matches up and takes you into life. Whereas now, Oh, and according to the Bible, people lived to be hundreds of years old. Methuselah was like 900 years old. So you can't tell me that it's because they had a shorter lifespan that they were, you know, giving this responsibility to people younger. 
And our culture definitely does not do that. Our culture tries to keep you a child until you're 30 or 40 or maybe your whole life. To me, once again, that's the Oedipal Mother movement. We're worshiping feminism is the worship of women, and so you move in that direction. Once again, I could be wrong about all that. But here we, I'm growing up in this purity movement where you're just not supposed to even think about or ever have any dreams about or ever feel a desire for the opposite sex or any of that. And it's just so ridiculous. That's got to be difficult as growing up. Yeah. Where do you get your information from if you're supposed to? Where do you get... <clears throat> Not like the emotional side of it, but like the physical, um, you know, the biology of it. Yeah. Where do you, where do you... And of course there are things that are happening that you don't have control over. And then you feel ashamed and like something must be wrong. I feel like something must be wrong with me because if I, God must not have created me right. Because I'm going against what God has said is supposed to be. But it's not what God said, it's what the church has mishandled this information to create. And once again, it's all this balancing act. So in the time frame we're talking about, as society seems to be going so far towards um, hedonism, the church then tries to balance that out, but of course it's an overcorrection, and so we're worshiping purity instead of worshiping God. And it doesn't bring, you know, there are plenty of people, particularly religious people, who have the discipline to not do certain things. But then how do you, so they don't even need to hear these laws because they're willing to follow the law. And Paul talks a lot about that in most of his letters. The, the people who are, are just built to follow the rules, they don't need help following the rules. They know all the rules and they know how to follow. People who don't like following the rules, they might need a little gentle persuasion to come back to the center. But of course, what happens? You have people doing these terrible overcorrections, and you don't draw people back to the center. You just put them in a prison. And that's what happened for me. Um, I was told that you weren't saved unless you spoke in tongues from my Pentecostal background church. That seemed kind of ridiculous to me. That seemed like a way that human beings could decide that they were better than other Christians. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about loving God. It was, I'm going to worship this thing because it makes me more valuable. Mm -hmm. And that happens all the time. Not because the church is doing the wrong thing, but because we as human beings want to be valued, loved, accepted. And if we can't actually believe that God loves us, accepts us, that he sees us as his holy and dearly loved children who he's pleased with, even when he cannot accept the things we're doing, then of course, or even better, if it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like God accepts us that way, then we go out chasing the feeling, however we chase the feeling. So do I exercise more? Do I eat more? Those are <laughs> two opposite sides of, do I eat more without exercising? Do I exercise and maybe not eat as much as I need? Do I, how am I missing the mark of what God created me to be? And there's all the dichotomies. And once again, all good things. 
having good healthy food is great. Exercising is great. Um, taking time to rest and not do anything that stresses your body mind, just laying down and saying, thank you, God is a great thing. Rest is a really important thing. But what do we do? Well, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to lay here and not do anything. I'm just going to exercise. I'm going to exercise till my arms fall off. I'm just going to, and we run out to the extremes of any of these things. And part of the point of reading the Bible is to see that all of these different dichotomies are talked about through stories of here's people who are caught up missing out on who God really is they're being pulled too far in any of these given directions and this is what happens when people end up too far in that direction and how the consequences for the whole community and we see that throughout the Old Testament where you get all those stories and we see Paul explaining it in more of a I'll call it rationalistic, but you can totally trounce me on that one. But more of a metaphor way, using a lot more of this, you know, high thinking, if you want to call it that. But <laughs> once again, there are people who need the stories. That's how they're going to interact with the world. There are people who need the logical, rational, or whatever you want to call the more, you know, the less story-filled and the more idea-concept-filled way of interacting with all of this. But at the end, once again, you come to people who are doing the very best they can, and it's not good enough. You know, they, I went through an interview process for all of these things. I, there were questions that were asked and all of this. Was it, are you married and do you have kids? And no. Because they already knew that wasn't available in our culture. For most college-age kids, you're, and that's so funny to even call them kids. They're adults. But for most young adults, if that's what we have to use to make some differentiation in our language, they're not going to be married. They're not going to have kids. They're not taking care of their own finances. They're not doing most of these things. And the ones who are, are so busy, they don't have time to intern at a church or intern anywhere else. They're working a job. So thank you for asking. Thank you for letting me rant on that one for a little bit. Um, it's a lot. And, you know, what's sad is my intentions were good. I had good intentions. But that doesn't mean, and once again, I also believe God exists. And God makes all things work together for good. So even though I was arrogant, cocky, overconfident, trying to overcompensate by looking confident, whatever you want to call it, God still did use that time for good for plenty of people. But that doesn't mean that I was perfect. And there's a whole other problem. You think you're going to find everyone who wants to come work for the church is going to actually live up to all of these? If you only took the people who lived up to all of these, how many people could actually be in leadership in the church? <laughs> you know? And then would church leadership include some people who were going to make sure that there was some fun happening? I don't know. I didn't grow up with a mom and a dad, so I don't know what it would even look like to have these kind of people who are 
respected by their kids. Paul talks a lot about the way you get your kids to respect you is to not be so religious with them. Such a You need to follow the laws to your kids. So the kids are having some fun. They are enjoying life. They are able to respect their parents because they're not being crushed by a tyrannical father or crushed by an Oedipal mother or destroyed by some of these other unhealthy things that get in the way. Where do you find those people? I would love to meet them. And if those are the people who are in leadership in the church, I would definitely love to go meet them. And here's the best part. When I was 19, I probably met a bunch of those people and thought that they were boring. <laughs> and I didn't want to be around them very much because they were trying to give me limits and trying to help me understand if you run off too far in that direction, in any direction, there's going to be problems that you're going to face that you don't want to have to deal with later in life that are going to affect you for the rest of your life. I didn't want to hear any of that. I know what to do and I know how to do it. And <laughs> do you have any, any kind of similar thing or any kind of thoughts about this or how it might work? I mean, you've owned businesses. You know what it's like to try to hire people and try to find the best people for a job. Tell me how you take all of this as a business person and how it affects you in the way you think about hiring people or building a business or dealing with the world. Um, it actually relates really well because when I'm hiring somebody for a business um, and uh, one of the things I do besides all this is I coach people about business <clears throat> um, is if you only focus on one aspect of this person, it will probably not be a good fit. Okay. Um, so I know it's real easy as a, a salon owner to really focus in on the technical aspect of, of a new hire. Um, you know, I want them to come in and I want them to demo, you know, bring a model, demo this, demo that. Um, and Show off their skills and yes. talent. And there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. unless you put all your faith in the technical skill because the reality is does the person match up to the culture of the salon will they fit into that culture because the reality is your people are going to be working with each other every single day are they kind are they um, relatable are they um, you know, able to, how do they respond in, in moments of, of uh, stress? Those kind of things, those are all equally as important as their technical skill. No one thing is more important than the rest. And I think that, I think it relates perfectly to this because it is so easy to walk into, let's say you are the new hire and your technical skill is off the chart. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a perfect fit anywhere you go. Mm. It, it means that when you go to work in another salon, it means that you will have to humble yourself to their ways. And, um, you know, I think that we can really trip ourselves up by getting into these ideas of, well, it should be this way or it should be that way. I think that's where a lot of challenges in life live. Okay. Um, you know, uh, uh, I've been doing this too long to give somebody a discount. These are things that I would hear in business. Mm -hmm. I, uh, 
you know, my prices should be the highest because I've been doing this the longest. Um, these are all fallacies. Um, one thing that I tell people when I'm coaching them is I don't put any more value in a person that has been doing my job for you know 50 years versus brand new because they each bring a different quality to the table. So uh, do I value the experience itself? Yes, but I don't value the person more than the person that's just starting. Um, and I think that's something to consider that it is so easy to get caught up in the shoulds. Um, you know, I should be the top of my game because I've been doing this for this many years. The reality is you are where you're supposed to be. <laughs> There's a reason why you're where you're supposed to be. And you may not ever know what that reason is. Expectations versus reality. Yes, exactly. I mean, it, it's a lot. What I'm getting out of this is that in order to do any job, I mean, I think of serving the church as such a high calling. and um, But even in order to do that, you have to be personally grounded, meaning you have to have your... You have to have your shit together. <laughs> yeah. um, and so what I'm, what I'm seeing here is balance. There has to be balance in your life. If you make one thing more important than all the rest, then you're worshiping that thing. Whether it's chasing money or chasing fun or chasing, uh, you know, fame, um, whatever it is. Um, I am so grateful that the company that I work for has always proclaimed that personal grounding is the most important thing um, because the job itself is taxing. I mean, people who do my job, um, you know, we travel a lot, we're gone from our families, we, you know, we're, we're on the road a lot. And if you do not have your shit handled at home, it's going to be a disaster. Um, so I love that I work for a company that believes in that. Oh, they'll let you work yourself to death, <laughs> but there'll be little reminders along the way that that's not, not okay. Mm. That's a great balance between respect and empathy. Yes. Between respect and love. Mm -hmm. Um, we love you enough to tell you the truth and we respect you enough to let you make your own decisions about how you're going to interact with that information. I would say if there's anything about the company that I work for, that's what they that's what they profess for sure. Um, and of course, you've told us stories about how your life has gotten out of balance. Oh and yeah. Have had to receive the help from them, from people who you've worked with, from all of these different places, so that you can get going, take care of your home life. Mm -hmm. And all of this brings me to our OOI. Mm -hmm. Order of importance. How do we decide what's most important in our lives? Mm -hmm. And I think that's my favorite part of reading this. You pointed out that somewhere between, it's probably a verse 10, 11, or 12. Um, <laughs> it says, no exceptions are to be made for women. Same qualifications. Serious, dependable, not sharp-tongued, not over-fond of wine. 
Servants in the church are to be committed to their spouses, attentive to their own children, and diligent in looking after their own affairs. And so, what's so difficult to do when you're young is to think, okay, I'm going to have about 80 years of life. What do I need to do to have the very best life for the entire 80 years? Which, one way to think about that is, okay, what's going to have the greatest effect in my life? I'm going to go to school for 12 years. 12 out of 80, not that much. I might go to school for eh, 16 to 20 years, but that's still only about a fourth of my life. I'm going to get married. If I get married in my 20s, that's about 60 years of my life. My marriage is probably going to need to be of pretty prime importance. I'm going to get a job. So... Maybe when I'm around 18, maybe when I'm around 22, we'll call it 20. That's about 60 years of my life. That's probably going to need to be of pretty high importance. I want to have kids. If I have kids, I'll probably have it after I've had a job for a little while or a few jobs. Um, so, but how long am I supposed to be responsible for those kids? Technically 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we laugh at that because in our current culture, it's a mess, but about 18 years. So we'll call it 20, 20 out of 80 is not that much. These kids are important, but they're not as important as my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my job or career. We'll call it career, not just, you know, a job that I'm working so I can get to the next job, but my career, and I forgot, we actually normally retire around 65, so you might only get about 40 years in your career, if careers even exist anymore. But with all, so with all of that, we can look at, all right, um, my spouse is going to be high priority, my job is going to be next priority, it's going to last, so 60 years with my spouse, 40 years with my career, about 20 years with my kids, everything else is gonna come and go and fluctuate. Is there anything that I'm missing in this? You're smiling, my love. What is it that I'm missing in this? The one thing that lasts from the moment that we're born until the moment, well, until eternity. Mm -hmm. And what's that? God. Our relationship with God, which includes our relationship with ourself. So who I am and my ability to honor myself, respect myself, love myself, live with myself, forgive myself. If I can't forgive myself, how am I going to forgive others? Which means if I can't forgive myself, how do I forgive my spouse? Here's someone I have to live with, with for 60 years. So it's, you're right. It's relationship to God, my relationship to the essence of being, my relationship to how to live and wisdom to live rightly in life. That, that's the most important thing, the most valuable thing. I'm not God, so I'm going to be pulled in all these different directions. If I was born male, I'm going to be pulled to this side of things. If I was born female, I'm going to be pulled to that side of things. How do I honor all of it and value all of it correctly and find the meaning for all of it? So that my OOI can be right. It's a tough question. An OOI again was order of importance. 
Yes, OOI is order of importance. How do I decide what matters most in life? And so, here we have it. For the entire 80 years that I'm going to live, my relationship to God, to being, to the universe, to whatever word you use, we use the word God because we're Christians and we've decided to believe in this. How do I relate to actually being, to living, to existing? How do I relate to that rightly? Then how do I relate to my spouse? Then how do I relate to my job? Then how do I relate to my kids? And then if there's any energy left, how do I relate to everything else? That is the order of importance that we've decided on for our lives. What do you think, my love? I think that some people will get really hot about that. Tell me more. Um, you know, it, there's, I think people get tripped up on the, you're going to put your spouse before your kids. Okay. Um, forgetting that, let's just say when your kids are little and when they're at home, mm -hmm. the best home has this united front of mom and dad. It's balanced. But the general concepts are, are united. Mm -hmm. That has to come before caring for that child. Mm. Now that's an ideal, right? right? So um, moving beyond that, there still has to be that united front. I mean, there. I, I think people forget that. And it's very, it can be a very slippery slope because... Like as a mom, mm -hmm. having four children myself, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in when the, when your children are very small, they need, they need your attention and, and you are their life force. Like I literally fed them from my body mm -hmm. I, um, and they need that and they grow mm -hmm. and they grow up and it is our job to teach them how to function in the world how to become independent, how to get off the boob, how to, <laughs> you know, all those things. And if we're doing it well, we're doing it together as a married couple. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It doesn't mean we see everything the same way. In fact, it's better if we don't. Mm -hmm. But the general consensus of how we will raise them is best when it is agreed upon. And learning how to negotiate that as parents yes. is a huge and important part of interacting with the world. What I love right now is you've fallen into the female side of mm -hmm. this whole dichotomy, this whole pressure and pulling. Right. You're pulled to the female side of where course. kids, why aren't kids more important than the job or mm -hmm. my spouse or whatever? I have to take care of these kids. And particularly, between the ages of zero and one or two, you, at least for the first six months, you really, a, a woman does really have to keep the baby alive because mm -hmm. the baby cannot do anything on its own. Right. And so it makes sense for that very small time frame. And part of it is understanding that we are pulled in these directions. But the point I wanted to make is, since I'm sitting on the other side as a man, my OOI says, well, why isn't the career more important right. than my spouse? Why can't I make my job more important than trying to deal with this person who is so different from me, who sees things so different from me? 
I can go out and win in my job. And especially if my wife is so concerned with the kids, then the only place I'm going to find any of those feelings that I want is in my job where I can win because I cannot win with my wife while she's taking care of this baby. The baby cries louder than I am willing to. <laughs> and so, so that can become a trap right there. Absolutely. Because if we as as mothers mm -hmm. drag that out, you know, until, you know, we're we're into their teens, we're into their twenties, we're still dragging that out, thinking that that it is our duty to take care of every need of that child. Mm. Isn't it your right? Mm. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Don't you no. have the right to take, but I'm saying the way we think about it. I, I love the way you said it. It's your duty. It's your responsibility, but we don't think about life that way. And when you were, is there a point, and this is a really tough question, so it's okay if you don't want to answer it, but isn't there a point where the, the defense in your mind is I have the right to do this because I'm their mom. I have the right to continue to take care of them. They should still be calling me because I'm their mom. It doesn't matter that they're 20. It doesn't even matter if they get married. And this might not have happened to you personally. No, but, but I know where that comes from. As women, is that a place, a trap that is easy to yes. fall into? It's my right to be the first person who gets called. Even when my child is 30 years old, mm -hmm. it's still my right to be called first. I understand wanting to say that. Okay. I'll say that. But the reality is we, as, as females, we say that because we're hurt. Mm -hmm. Keep going. And that is our defense. Um, because there was a time when our children depended on us for everything. And the beauty of it is that if we've taught them well, they become independent but it hurts that they become independent as well. I know as a mom, I long for those times. And I'm so proud of my children for how independent they are. So, that's about emotions. That's not about what's best. And I think so many times we get wrapped up in our emotions and we let them drive what's best. And emotions are fickle. <laughs> they don't necessarily tell us the truth. They're predicated on a lifetime of events, not on that specific event. So, um, my point about being, you know, responsible for your children entirely when they're little and and the problem is that if you stay in that mindset, you're also neglecting your spouse who you are committed to stay with for, you know, the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And you're choosing to put something you're choosing to put something temporary yes. over something that's going to last. Yes, and, and I know the argument, I really do. I know the argument of, but they'll be my kids for the rest of my life. And that is true. But if you've done your job, then they will be able to care for themselves. 
and they will care for the next generation after them. Um, I tell people all the time, the best part about my kids is that they're so independent. Mm -hmm. And the worst part about my kids is that they're so independent. Because mm -hmm. it hurts. It's interesting to me, the fallacy of language. Um, that will always be your son. That will always be your daughter. But that will not always be your kid. And I, I hear you using that language because it's how our language is set up. Yeah. We do want to say that will always be my kid. But by even saying, using that label, we are claiming that that adult human being is still a child, is still in need of us to save them, rescue them, take care of them, um, do everything for them. And we all know, because if it's ever been done to us, when we are mislabeled, there's a big problem. Yeah. And we, we build resentment out of the lack of language or the abuse of language. And that sentence is an abuse of language. And there are so many of them, we do them all the time and we don't think about it. But those aren't kids. No. Those aren't kids we're dealing with. <laughs> we're dealing with young adults, with adults. We're dealing with, and it brings me back to grief. Our inability as a culture and society, particularly in America, to mourn and grieve and transition into what's new. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about um, how Blockbuster, the company that used to rent videos out for people, had an opportunity to become a streaming service, but they weren't willing to let go of their in-person stores. And so because they weren't willing, they the quote supposedly is, if we become a streaming service, it will kill our in-person stores. And as Christians, I love this terminology because you die to yourself daily. Every day we are called to examine what is it that I'm holding on to that I think is so important that is actually stopping me from coming back to being centered where God is. And as we all know, Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. And if we ever find one of those things that says Blockbuster on it, it brings up this nostalgia, but it's not a useful thing anymore. It's not something we're going to keep in our house particularly because it doesn't help us. And just like Blockbuster has this opportunity to mourn their in-person stores and become a streaming service, every day of our lives we have the opportunity to mourn all of these different things. I was the parent of a child. Now I'm the parent of a young adult. I was the parent of a one-year-old. Now I'm the parent of a two-year-old. Now I'm the parent of a one-and-one-month-old, you know? And there's so much change that happens. I've got to grieve the loss of what it was so that I can become who I need to be to interact well. Because if I'm treating my six-year-old kid like a six-month-old kid, there's going to be a lot of resentment and fighting going on there. And if I'm treating my teenager like a six-year-old, there's going to be a lot of resentment and problem there. So as we learn to mourn these losses, and once again, same thing on the opposite side, 
if my job is what's giving me this feeling of that I'm valuable or I can win or I can't get from my spouse my desires met, my, my feelings met, my dopamine hit, then I can go to work and I can get all of that. Okay, I'm just going to turn my heart towards my job. And so I love that the qualifications here for leadership in the church are find someone who does not forsake their family for a job. Find someone who doesn't forsake their job for their family. Find someone who doesn't forsake their spouse for their kids. Find someone who doesn't forsake their spouse for their job. Find someone who doesn't forsake themselves just to make everyone else happy. Find someone who doesn't forsake their relationship with God to have earthly things. It's, it's a beautiful and impossible, I think, impossible thing to find. Because we're human and we don't do it perfectly. But are we, is that our goal? To, to live within this order of importance. I just want to wrap up something I was saying about, yeah. you know, if you if you stay in that mindset of my children, you know, they need me for their every waking moment, and you turn away from your spouse, and then in response, your spouse turns away to work, and, you know, if you had it as a female in your head that, but these are my kids forever, right, instead of, hey, they're adults now, what example are you setting as a relationship model? Because your children will grow up, whether you want them to or not, and likely they will move on to have their own spouse mm -hmm. or their own partner. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of model did you set up as for them as a relationship? So it is imperative that you take care of that relationship first, and then take care of your children. When they're children. So. It is hard. It is, oh I, yeah. I, I wanna say, you know, there are times that I wanna say kid, and then there are other times that I, and especially if we spent time with them, that it's much easier to say adult. I mean, my sons are 28 and 29. <laughs> One has a child already, and is married, and the other one's getting married. They are for sure adults who are handling their lives beautifully. You know, the last thing they need is me stomping and saying, but I'm your mom and I deserve, no. <laughs> the only thing that's gonna happen if I come at it that way is they're gonna say, out of here. Mm -hmm. No, I've got this handled. And you just brought up the end result of sin. Mm -hmm. When we start worshiping these things other than God, when we don't have this balance, when we're not driving ourselves toward right relationship with God, the center of being, we go further and further away from that. And God hates sin. Mm -hmm. We like to say God is love, which means God doesn't hate. No, if God loves us, then God hates sin. What is sin? It's anything that breaks the relationship the right relationship with him. In other words, it's the thing that's going to break our relationships with other people. And so it's so interesting that we want to pretend God is love and just this hippy-dippy, lovey feeling, this good feeling. No, God actually often will allow us to go through the minimum amount of pain that's going to change our hearts because we're worshiping something other than him 
and it's going to cause disaster in our relationships. So yes, we turn towards our job, our kids, our whatever it is, our spouse even. We can make our spouse something that we worship, and we're going to miss out on right relationship with God. And that's why we put right relationship with God at the beginning. Um, man. So when we get out of order, there's a lot of problems that can occur. And so it's also tough because there's some fun in chaos. But believe me, if you, <laughs> if you get your life in order and you're pursuing right relationship, God, right relationship with your spouse, right relationship with your job, right relationship with your children, you're going to have plenty of chaos. Because a two-year-old screaming no at the top of their lungs, that's some chaos. And how to deal with it is so important. And I'm very proud of our kids as they're dealing with their one-and-a-half-year-old who's screaming no all the time. They're doing an amazing job of honoring how to be great parents who care about each other. Um, and so I'm really proud of them. And... I'm really proud of you, my love. I know that it's so easy to come in and as, a, as someone who's been a parent, say, this is how you should do things. I'm the grandparent, I can tell you how to do things. Well, your kids already know the way that, <laughs> the, the way you did things that wasn't helpful and was actually hurtful. And also, if you wanna be a grandparent, tell them your kids how to do life that's just bad leadership. I love that this is about leadership. And it's, we come back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and it's about leadership. Well, what can you see in leaders? Their offspring, I'm going to use that word instead of children because it's, it gets to a point where it's not children. Their adult sons and daughters still look at them with respect. How do you get that? You be a good leader. How do you be a good leader? Don't tell people how to do things. Cast a vision of what it, you want the company to look like, the family to look like, all of these things, and let the people who have capability, particularly capabilities other than your own, figure out how they're going to get you to that envisioned ideal or that end of the mission. That's some good leadership. And that's the person people respect. And so, yeah, look for someone who has earned the respect of their family, has earned the respect of their children, has earned the respect of their community. Because those people are probably doing things that are in alignment with who God is. And making a quick change when they figure out that they're letting any of these other things pull them too far instead of valuing them correctly. One of the reasons David is in the Bible is King David, and he's a man after God's own heart, and almost all of his stories are how he messes up and does things that are not right and, and gets pulled too far in one of these directions. And yet he's a man after God's own heart because he always says, God, what I was doing was wrong. I accept the consequences of my actions. Help me to come back to you. I'm going to come back to pursuing and following you rightly. And that's what life is about for us as humans. We are going to get pulled in those directions. We are going to get pulled into 
my job is more important, my kids are more important, my spouse is more important, my whatever is more important. And God is so good that he's made a way for us to have right relationship with him. So I feel like we're at a pretty good stopping point. Let me just end with this. In verse 16, Paul writes, This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding. And for me personally, and I hope for all of you out there, it's important for us to realize there are things beyond our understanding. And that's okay, because God exists, and he is making all things work together for good, and he loves us, and he wants us to have the very best life that we can possibly have. So with that in mind, we hope that all of you will follow and subscribe on Twitch to chat with us, like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for joining us on this adventure. Much love to all the adventures. Explore.